Welcome to Win Win, a podcast from the Department of Sport and Exercise Science at the Waterford Institute of Technology. I'm your host, Bruce Wardrop, and in each episode, I'll be chatting with someone who works behind the scenes in sport, helping athletes to maximize their performance potential. If my guest is winning, hopefully their athletes are winning too. In this episode, I'm delighted to be catching up with Eva Richardson, the Irish athlete who is currently running and working with the Atalanta professional women's running team based out of New York City. Eva, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm not too sure. My, my introduction there, when I say that uh, people who work behind the scenes in sport helping athletes, but you kind of straddle uh, both of those spheres at the moment. You are an athlete and you also work behind the scenes as well. Yeah, um, exactly. So let's, yeah. Let's dive in there. So tell us what with the, the Atalanta women's running team. So that's where you're at at the moment. We'll, we'll start with the presence. Uh, yeah. What's that all about? So Atalanta is a brand new um, running team um, that uh, was founded by Mary Kane, who is an American athlete who had a lot of success uh, as a junior. And she uh, wanted to kind of break the mold a little bit and uh, create a professional women's running team that was doing something different. So it is a team, but it's also a nonprofit organization. So it employs professional female athletes to work as mentors running um, programming for like young girls in the community in New York uh, to get them involved in sport and just create kind of a positive relationship with sport and movement. Um, So the professional athletes that are employed with the organization uh, do that work part time on the side and also are paid to, you know, train full time and still compete at the highest level in in their sport. So uh, so it's definitely different to other professional running situations um, where you would typically, you know, have a shoe contact contract um, with a company um, and they would pay you to run. Um, But it's kind of, it's a really exciting opportunity because it allows you to still work on your career skills and still kind of give back to the community as well. So, um, so it's pretty, it's pretty interesting one. Yeah, it's pretty unique and very special. If you don't mind, we might take a step backwards there. So for, for a, a high level athlete um, who wants to go pro, you, you mentioned there that the normal, the, the normal route or the, the typical route would be through perhaps an endorsement with a shoe company or a sports company. Yeah. Is th- that's how it normally a- operates. Yeah, that would be uh, the route that people would normally take. But um that is also a very small proportion of people that end up in a situation where they can get a contract with a shoe company like the Nike or Adidas or anyone like. So when I was graduating from college, um, I had a decent career in college. I had some decent results, but, you know, I didn't have all of those shoe companies knocking on my door, begging me to come run for them and pay me a huge sum of money, you know. So I was looking for opportunities where I could um, continue to run, but also maybe leverage some of the other skills that I had, um, some of the career skills that I had. I had my master's degree. Um, so kind of figure out some kind of situation that would allow me to do both. Um, and Atalanta was exactly that. It allowed me to, to still, uh, work, but also have flexibility and the time to run and recover and, um, travel for races and do all of those things that I needed to do to succeed. Um, because I was so spoiled in college, I knew if I if I went straight into the working world, working nine to five, I don't know how my running career would be shaping up. So um, 
so it gave me the flexibility to really give it a give it a shot yeah and it sounds like that th- there's possibly a, a big cliff in participation there's, there's a lot of athletes that are probably lost at that point at the end of their collegiate career or at a certain point where they're, they're competing at a really high level but like you said there's a decision to be made do i go and work or do i maybe pursue athletics and the two mightn't necessarily be compatible with each other yeah exactly and it's a real shame because as well in the US, there doesn't seem to be as much of a kind of club system as there is sometimes um, at home. So a lot of athletes reach the kind of pinnacle of their athletic careers and are competing at a really, really high level and then might give up the sport completely, um, which is a real shame, I think. And uh, there's just not that many opportunities to make it work. And obviously it is a big time commitment and a big uh, energy commitment to continue to train at that high level. Um, so there is definitely a big, a big drop off, I would say after, after college. So it definitely seems like the stars were aligned for you here with this, that you were at that point in your athletic career and your professional career where you, I don't know, maybe there was a fork in the road that you, you, you thought you had to make a decision, which way am I going to go here? But then it, Mary was setting up this team, which kind of, turned that fork upside down and allowed the two arms to come back together again. So how did, how did you, did you find out about that through, through running or was it through your professional interests or was it a bit of both? How did it come about? Yeah. So it really was kind of like the stars aligning in a way. Um, when I look back on it, like the timing, um, was a bit mad, but, uh, I was finishing up my master's. I had, uh, the summer semester, after I finished competing when I was finishing up my master's and I had no idea what I was going to do. I was kind of looking around. I didn't know, was I going to stay in San Francisco or where I was, what I was going to do. Um, and then I saw that Mary had launched this team. I just saw a couple of articles, um, about it that had come out in the news and I was reading about it. And I just, I really did feel like someone had taken my dream job and, and written it down. And I almost didn't know in my head, what that was. And then I saw it written in front of me and I was like, this is such a great idea. And I, I just, it, even all, like all of the things about like getting young girls involved in sport and all of that just really resonated with me. Um, and I have been, I had been thinking myself for a while that like, why wasn't there, you know, other ways of doing this professional running thing? Um, and was there a space for me in it? Um, so when I saw that written down, I was really kind of taken by it. Um, and I just went on Instagram and I sent Mary a DM, um, which, you know, she's got 75 or 80,000 followers. So I, I was like, she's not going to reply, but I just wanted to reach out anyway and congratulate her on launching the team and tell her that I thought it was a brilliant idea. So that's what I did. Um, and about a day later, she replied and she said, I actually, I think it would be great to have you chat with our coach, John. And I was like, great. Said like I gave her my email address, my number, and it just kind of spiraled from there. So I spoke with John on the phone, um, and then Mary and I set up a call. And we, uh, we when we had our first Zoom call, we we really kind of clicked and just shared a lot of interests and values, and um, we're just both very passionate about this this subject and got along really well, and it just went from there. So um, 
it was definitely worth shooting my shot and sending the message on Instagram. Yeah. You knew that sliding into someone's DMs like that could lead to, to this. I know. It's amazing. It, yeah. it, it, it does seem so yeah. fortuitous. Because for- that's the other thing is, is it's very hard to know how to find out about these opportunities. And I didn't, you know, I didn't have an agent or I didn't know how to reach out to teams or how to reach out to people. Um, so it really was just about sending a dm in that case or mm. sending a text or an email um and it worked out for me in my case i often say that to students that like j- just ask because what's the worst that could happen someone says no and you're, you're no wor- worse off if they say no and someone might say yes so just exactly. ask. exactly it's always worth shooting an email that's what i tell people when people ask me for advice about how to navigate the ncaa system as well and how to get in contact with schools that's exactly what i tell them it's uh when i was first like looking into things um about coming to the US I just emailed every single college under the sun I literally just looked up the rankings of all the best colleges with like decent cross-country teams and I emailed them all and I had no idea what I was doing but I just said my name's Eva this is like these are my times that were not very good at the time at all um and went from there and most people replied and a lot of them were no's but some of them wanted to chat and then eventually that led to a scholarship opportunity. So um, I probably sent 15 emails and, you know, talked to three or four coaches, but that was all I needed. You just needed one to stick. But yeah. okay, that's a, that's a nice segue then. So you moved from Ireland to Portland in 2016 to take on, well, you were, you were a scholarship student for running um, and you did your undergrad. What did you do for your undergrad? I did um, psychology and sociology. So I, I actually did one year in UL um, in Ireland first. I was also studying psychology there. And then I transferred. I was able to transfer over my credits and just resume um, studying psychology over there. So that worked out nicely. And it kind of gave me that year to figure out if it was really what I wanted to do or not. Also very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you were when you were thinking about the move to, 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 to the US, was that to pursue running or was it to pursue the education or was it a bit of both? What was the driver there? Um, it, it was it was very much to pursue running. Um, I think in the first year of college that I spent in Ireland, I kind of realized that running was something that I that I did really enjoy and that I did have potential in and I wanted to give it a shot and I found it very difficult to do that by myself and train by myself. And uh, when I was in UL, there wasn't too much of, of a setup with a team or coaching or anything like that. So I was doing a lot of training by myself and then trying to balance that with the kind of social life in college. There wasn't really anyone else that was trying to do what I was doing. So I felt like I couldn't do both. Um, so yeah, so I, I found it tough to balance my training that first year. And I kind of thought, well, if I want to take this to the next level, maybe I should look into going to the US. Um, I, I hadn't looked into it previously because I honestly didn't think I was good enough and um, didn't think that any schools would take me on. So I hadn't looked into it at all before I started college. And then when I made my first Eurocross team, um, the, made the Eurocross junior team, that December of my first year in college, that sort of opened up some doors. Then um, some colleges started getting in contact with me and I started reaching out a bit more. And um, and then I was kind of set on, on giving it a go. 
Okay, so you went over to, to Portland and I'm actually going to hold my hand up today and say that for a long time, I thought you were in Portland in Maine. Oh, not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not, not Portland, the entire other side of the country. Yeah, so this well, is Portland in Oregon, in which Oregon, is in the, yeah. Yeah, the northwest of, uh, of, of continental United States, about as far away from Ireland as you can get without landing in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, exactly. Which at the time, I don't think I realized that I like. I would kind of look it up on a map and be like, oh, it's there. But I don't think I realized that it was that far. Like a lot of other people were going to schools on the East Coast um, and they had half the travel distance that I had to travel in. I didn't really realize that at first, but it, was, it, it probably, worked out. It's probably the same as, you know, going to, to Japan for yeah. college you know like you've got yeah. the pacific ocean splitting it on either sides but because america is so massive the difference between on the east coast and the west coast is is huge yeah it's absolutely huge and i had, i had no idea i had no concept of where things were in the u.s when i was looking into things and i could That's have just, just as me. easily i could have just as easily ended up in portland and oregon as i could have in you know louisiana or kentucky or boston or wherever i could have been anywhere um but i think I got very lucky ending up where I did because Portland was a great city. Yeah. Now, like I said, I was doing a little bit of homework. So the, the university over there is, I don't know what they consider to be, well, it's 4,000 students. That's about half the size of WIT. Now, mm -hmm. I presume the campus and the facilities are, are very, very different to, to WIT, but it's is it a small university? Would it be considered? Yeah. Yeah. It's very small. So it's a small private Catholic university. Um, so I... I wasn't like set on going to a small university that just happened to be one, the one that I ended up going for. But um, in hindsight, I think it was actually really good for me to go to a small university because um, you just got to know people much easier. And the classes were really small. Like my, my classes were never more than 30 people um, and usually smaller than that, usually 20. Uh, so you really did get to know your lecturers and get to know the other people in your class and, that was a totally different experience to me coming from UL where I was in a lot of lectures with a hundred plus people. So, um, I, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that experience. And it was also, it's also a liberal arts college. So you do take a lot of classes in a range of different subjects, not just your major. So, um, I wasn't sure if I would enjoy that, but I actually really, really did. So we had to take theology, philosophy, some science classes, English, maths, like everything. It's, it, it was like being back in secondary school in a way, um, but you had a lot of choice over what you did take. So I, I really enjoyed a lot of the history classes I took or some of the philosophy classes and, and the English literature classes too. So, um, so, they were out, very... so they were outside your, 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 the major yeah. of your undergraduate degree. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did something similar when I was in university. We had to, in first and second year, we had to take, I think it was three modules per, per year um, that were not in the school that you were uh, registered to study in. So it was like, it was cool. You did get to pick a few some, other things that you wouldn't have necessarily gone for and broaden your horizons and maybe yeah, I think be outside like... your comfort zone. It really like gives you a very broad education, which I found really beneficial. I know some people probably would hate that. They only, you know, they want to be taking just just classes in what they're interested in studying. And I, and I get that, like everyone's different. Uh, but for me, it was really good in kind of realizing where my interests were and um, and my strengths and everything. So I enjoyed that a lot. 
So obviously you were there to study and you were there to run too. What was it like uh, being a scholarship athlete over in the US? Is it everything that television and the movies have led us to believe? Well, I think in, at, at UP, it's much smaller than, you know, some of the massive state schools. And we didn't have a football team or anything. So it was a little bit of a muted version of what we see in, in, on, in movies. But that said, the facilities and everything were still brilliant and the supports as an athlete were just out of this world and um and I I loved that and the biggest thing for me that was new was having a team for the first time having a team of other uh women to run with every day we had 25 people on the team um you know you never had to run on your own you always had people uh to keep you company and that just made it so fun and you kind of had all of these friends immediately from day one. Um, it, I just found that it was a lot easier for me to make friends because this was already 25 people that were really similar to me and that I was spending a lot of time with every day. So um, I really set that really helped me to settle in really quickly. Um, sure. But yeah, but the facilities and everything were great. You have, you know, like athletic trainers and track and trails and like everything that you would kind of need to succeed i suppose um and all the gear and free runners and all that which is great as well um which is always nice but yeah i i was definitely blown away when i when i arrived and speaking of uh runners and free gear one of the other things you did when you were in portland was that you managed to bag yourself an uh, an internship at nike is that right yeah i did so i think it was my junior year um i got an internship at nike for the summer and that was kind of something that I wasn't sure if I was going to apply for uh, because I was a psychology major. So I wasn't even studying business or anything. So I wasn't sure if if I would even get it. Um, but I applied anyway and went through the rounds of interviewing and got it in the end. And Nike run a really great internship program where they take on a lot of not just student athletes. but They do take on a lot of student athletes from schools all over the country uh, so they have a huge class of interns that come to their um, campus on, it's in Beaverton, so it's just outside of uh, Portland, the Nike World Headquarters. And yeah, it is. It's the it's the world headquarters for, for yeah. the whole company. Yeah, it's, it's, so I it's presume huge. it's massive. Yeah. It's a, like a massive university campus, like way, way bigger than University of Portland's campus. <laughs> um, and they, you know, fly everyone in and put them up for the summer. I, I already lived in Portland, so I didn't have to kind of, I didn't have to move out there um so th- is this a, it would have been a competitive internship for all of the United States you'd have people coming from all our areas to to do this yeah pr- pretty much yeah you'd have people traveling really far to to do this internship and they would live out in Oregon for the summer and it just happened to be 10k down the road for you yeah so it was it was very <laughs> handy for me I just continued to live in my in my college house and I just went in to work every day and yeah it was a really great experience and they treated us really well um and it was just cool to see the inner workings of a massive company like that. And so what did you do when you were there on the internship? So I was assigned to a team, it's called Global Brand Innovation, sounds very vague, uh, but it was kind of a like a marketing, like a sports marketing, branding internship. Um, and the people I were working with, were they were great. They, they did a lot of... Um, kind of like consumer insights research and they were doing a big project while I was there around like the naming of shoes so doing a lot of focus groups with like you know what do you think of the name of this shoe like what does that mean to you what does like the word you know 
Zoom or the word like React or all like all of the different like foams and the shoes. Like, does that mean something to you or what do you think of when you hear that? Um, all of these kinds of things. So it was it was very interesting. Um, but most most of what I enjoyed about it was kind of the experience of meeting all the other interns meeting and just like kind of networking within the company and hearing about how people got into that job there was a like a range of different backgrounds it wasn't just they studied marketing in college and then they went straight to nike they were came from a range of different backgrounds um and there, it was just great to be on the campus during the summer as well it was the summer that the world cup was on the soccer world cup so they would show all of the matches on these massive screens out on the campus and they'd have free food and drinks and everything. And it would just, it was a really like fun environment. Um, that said, they all worked very hard. It was, it was it, the fun kind of masked the fact that everyone was working extremely hard. <laughs> um, so that's not to say that it was all fun and games. Um, but yeah, it was a really good experience. I did, I did th- think that I, I ended it, I mean, it was, it was well worth doing, but I ended the summer kind of thinking, I'm not sure if working there is for me. I'm not sure if working in a massive corporation like that, it it didn't, it didn't really give me the, the satisfaction that I thought maybe I was looking for out of a career. Um, but it was a great experience because it did teach me that, um, and well worth, well worth doing. Yeah, sometimes I find that experiences like that, if if you learn that you, you, it's fantastic if it, you learn that this is something that I definitely want to do, but it can also be good if you think, well, this is maybe something that I don't want to do or something I might might, might want to move away from or eliminate. Yeah, so there's exactly. there's 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 definitely learning from from that as well. So that's. Um, wasn't the end of your career in Portland there, but it made it bridge the gap towards your move to San Francisco. Is that right? Yeah. So I had one more year then in Portland and I had a little bit of eligibility left. So I knew that I could either stay at Portland and either drag out my undergrad or start a master's there, or I could look elsewhere and go and do a master's somewhere else. And uh, like you said, Portland was a pretty small school and it didn't have a whole lot of master's programs that I was interested in. So I did start to look elsewhere, which was definitely a hard decision because I really loved Portland and my coach and everything. I had a really good relationship with him. Um, but I thought since I had extra eligibility and my running was going well at this at this time that I could have, like I knew I could get a scholarship to do a master's, I thought I may as well make the most of that um and and go elsewhere so I ended up deciding to go to the University of San Francisco which was only not not too far away I wasn't like across the country uh still very far from Ireland um but uh I kind of had it in my head that it would be nice to to live in California and see how that was so um I went on (laughs) it yeah it wasn't too bad um so I went on a on a visit there and met the coaches and the team and everything and just got a, a really good um, impression from that. So that's where I went. And so, yeah, so you continued on. You did an MA in a uh, master's in public health while you were there. Yeah. So you were definitely, well, if we look back now, you were, you know, lining up where you are now. You can see that that path starting out for you there. Uh, and you were also continued as a scholarship athlete, obviously. Um, 
San Francisco is a much bigger play, much bigger, bigger university. I think it's about twice the well, twice the size in terms of students, and probably yeah. felt a whole lot bigger when you were there in the city. Yeah, and it, it was still it was still a pretty small university. It was another. Um, it was very similar to Portland actually in a lot of ways, in that it's a, also a private Catholic university. Um, it does have more students, mostly because it has more graduate programs than Portland did. Um, but there was a lot of similarities in you know, small class sizes and just the kind of feel of the university. It did feel similar. Um, but like you said, the, di- the difference was it was in the middle of a, of a much bigger city. Uh, so and I really enjoyed that. I, I wasn't sure how I would feel about making a move to a bigger city, but I loved being close to things and being in the, in the thick of it. So, um, so I definitely enjoyed that a lot. And you were reasonably successful while you were there. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, overly familiar with the, the, the way the, the sports are set up in America, but I know that NCAA Division One is probably as high as it goes. Is that it? Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. And in 2019, you were classified as an All-American athlete. What does that mean? Yeah. So that was in cross country uh, the first season that I was there at USF and I qualified to run at nationals unfortunately our team didn't um make it as a team to nationals but i qualified as an individual for nationals that year and um if you come in the top 40 at, at nationals for cross country you're classified as an all-american um which sounds like top 40 sounds like a lot but it's it's very very competitive race and there's about 300 people in it um so i finished 19th that day so um yeah, that was something I was working towards basically since I arrived in the States was to first make it to the national cross country meet at, at all. And then to be an All-American was was a goal that seemed like a long shot at, at first, but um, was something that I always hoped would happen. So that was a really, really you know, special I, day. I, I, I think it's a hell of an achievement there. So, you know, 19th out of 300 on the day, but that's 300 who qualified out of all of the the collegiate athletes so yeah. you know that is a big pool of people and and you were swimming near the top yeah no it was uh it was definitely a bit surreal to be honest um but uh it was it was a really a really great day and you weren't precluded be- from being an all-american for being irish no thankfully not <laughs> <laughs> it is a, it's a funny like term but uh but no they still they still gave me my medal <laughs> Kind of in parallel to that, I think you were, you know, you, you had said you'd made the the the, the uh, Irish squad for was it juniors for cross country, and you were working to working along your senior career as well in parallel to this, or around about the same time. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. So I, between qualifying as a junior, I had also made a European cross country under twenty three team um, while I was still at Portland, based on. Uh, my performance at nationals so my last year at Portland we also made it to nationals as a team um, in cross country and I finished uh, 57th that year and so and they selected me for the under 23 team Um, so I went back for that because the national cross country which is the trial for Eurocross back in Ireland is always on the same weekend as nationals NCAA nationals so it's kind of impossible to do both Um, so then when I came 19th, when I, my first year at USF, they selected me for the senior team, which was, I mean, I was hoping to get selected, but it was still 
a bit of a surprise because obviously to make the team at, a, at senior level um, is definitely more challenging and there's a lot of uh, great women challenging for those spots. So uh, I was really excited to to travel home. Um, well, actually, I didn't travel home. I traveled straight to Lisbon uh, to race that. That was two weeks after uh, nationals. So that was a big, long travel day. I had a few canceled flights and everything. It was it was a nightmare. I was very <laughs> jet lagged, but we made it in the end. <laughs> And the, um, after that, you also, you, you were in the, on the senior team for the cross country. Was, it was last year, was it? It went ahead last year? Yes. Uh, this this, this uh, year. December gone. Yes, well, I guess it's gone. last year, 2021. It is last year, yeah. Um, recently. Yeah, recently enough. Uh, yeah, so that was the first time I could actually, since I was no longer in college, I could come home and actually race the trial. Uh, so that was, that was fun, but also an added pressure because... If it doesn't go right on that day, then uh, I wasn't going to make the team. And I really, really wanted to make that team because it was in Dublin and it had been postponed a year and everything. Um, the but, Europeans were being held in Dublin that yes, year. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but luckily I, I got a spot on the team and, and was able to, to run in Dublin in December. So we've at that stage when you were I, I, getting ready to prepare for for that race, you were with Atlanta team, the, the Atlanta team at that stage. Maybe I think you had just started, or that you know there was fairly close to the, the, the start points. Yeah, exactly. It was it was brand new at that point. Really, I I moved out to New York at the very end of September, start of October, um, and then I came home uh, mid November to race the trial. So it was a very uh, I had only been with the team a short period of time and I had obviously transitioned to working with a new coach and living in a new place and, you know, different training. So, uh, so I was definitely, you know, nervous if that was going to have paid off and I was also, yeah, exactly. Um, but it, it all worked out in the end and I was able to get fit enough just in time to make the team. So that was, that was a relief. Well, I've been told that uh, by plenty of people, and, and I think it's coming across here that you're you're pretty laid back. You're you're definitely a high performance athlete, but you're pretty laid back. No drama, no fuss. Is this <laughs> how you view yourself as an athlete? Um, I would say for the most part, yeah. I, there's definitely times where I, I do get nervous before races and everything, but I try to stay pretty level headed when it comes to training and racing. For the most part, I think. Um, I think like I, I racing so much in college helped me to kind of get a handle on my nerves and not get so nervous for every single race. When I was in school, I used to get, I'd be a nervous wreck before every race. Um, but now I, I'm able to stay pretty level-headed uh, and I'm also just more prepared now. So that probably helps. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I try and keep a pretty cool head even when it comes to training as well and not get too, I think like if you're too uptight or too like stressing about doing every single thing right at all times, it can just be t mentally draining. And um, I mean, I've just learned over year over the years that to keep a more like level headed and balanced approach is what works for me. And that's why it, that's why I love living in a city like New York or when I was in San Francisco, I really thrived there because there was so much to do outside of running and so much. I was able to find so much kind of balance in my life outside of running that helped put things in perspective and just keep me calm and, and I don't know, work, work on myself as a person, not outside of a, just a runner. I think if you, if your whole identity is consumed with being a runner, 
and running maybe isn't going so well or you have an injury or something um it can it can be hard yeah Yeah. it can be really hard and I, I had a bit of a moment like that when when COVID hit and when I was I was in um Albuquerque New Mexico I was I was supposed to race when like COVID kind of blew up and that got cancelled and every, and then the whole season got cancelled and I did have a bit of a moment where I was like but this is my whole life and my whole identity and as as a lot of people probably did and um so that those kind of those times put things in perspective and and yeah you kind of have to take a step back and realize that there's more to you than just performances so it sounds I was going to ask you is is it something that comes naturally to you to to be laid back but it sounds like it's something that you put a bit of thought and consideration and and efforts into being aware and 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 not yeah. letting things get to you like that I think I think it's something that I've learned I think I've always been quite laid back I think anyone who has coached me over the years would probably say that I mean it used to be my parents but even my co- my first coach in college and my second coach in college have have I've I've always been told I'm a very coachable athlete which I think that just means I I listen to the coach I just put my head down I get the work done and then I move on with my day and um I think that I mean I I think that's a compliment to be a coachable athlete I hope so yeah I know I am not comparing myself to you at all as an athlete but I like I when I go training I just love two things I love to turn up and I love to do what I'm told yeah and that, that makes life very easy exactly yeah and I think a lot of people especially a lot of the international athletes or like teammates that I've had over the years, sometimes when they would come into the NCAA system, they would almost be a bit resistant to working with a new coach. And then they would be still talking to their coach from home and still talking to their weights coach from home, but then also having a weights coach here and a, and a, and a new coach. And like they would have all these different voices in their ears and it was just making them overthink their training and compare everything. And, and I, I was just like, what's the point in doing that? Like I, for me, like when my parents coached me before I went to Portland, but we would chat on the phone every week, but they weren't telling me what to do with training. Like they were just asking how I was getting on in life in general. And then my coach was there to tell me what to do with training. And I think it's just a lot simpler to, to not overcomplicate things like that and be getting messaging from all, all different directions. I think that sounds like good advice to anyone listening out there. Yeah, keep it simplify it, keep it mm-hmm. uh, keep it enjoyable. I think is is, yeah. is important. Yeah, especially in running, it's it's such a simple sport, and I feel like a lot of people try and overcomplicate it a lot of times. But in reality, we're all doing some version of the same thing. You know, we're doing maybe two sessions a week, a long run, and the rest of the days we're just running easy. Um, and I think if you ask most distance runners, that's probably what they're doing. Maybe they're you know, doing some strength, like work once or twice a week as well. But other than that, that's what we're all doing. So there's no point trying to, you know, turn it into something that's not. So is that something, let's bring it back to your, to your outreach work then that you're doing with Atalanta. Is that something, a message that you try to deliver to the, to the girls and the communities that you're working with? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's like, yeah, keep maintaining balance in with your sport and in your life. It's, it's kind of about, I think sometimes a misconception that people have about the programming that we're offering is, oh, well, you're elite athletes, so you're trying to make these girls into elite athletes too. And that's not necessarily the case. It's it's just we want to help them develop a relationship in sport that's going to that's gonna last and, and help them create a healthy relationship that they 
that means they want to stay active and teach them how to do that well like into their lives how do you guys um hook up with these with these girls are they through athletics clubs schools are they from community centers like where, where do you how do you find them or how do they find you yeah so mostly through schools is what we've um we've been trying to link up with schools um so far we we generally don't like do it through social media or anything because you know that just it's it's a bit more narrow like you will just get kind of one one group of people maybe replying to those or people that are already very invested in the sport so it does they don't even necessarily need to already be in an athletic club um maybe they are doing running a bit in school or or involved in other sports in school but um yeah it's not it's not just through athletic clubs because sometimes people are coming at it then from a very performance um performance mindset which isn't really our goal with it so is it made more participation and yeah yeah exactly growing the base yeah exactly and just kind of teaching lessons along the way whether it be you know um how to manage stress or how to be a good teammate or just just lessons that can be applicable to life because i think uh when we as in me and mary and my other teammate jamie when we kind of reflect on on like what being involved in sport has taught us it has taught us so much about life and so many skills for life in general and for me I know I'm like even in managing stress or in uh just confidence and everything it's it's been huge for me um so it's just kind of trying to pass those things along that's amazing it sounds fantastic and it, it, it it aligns nicely with you know your own professional interests and your master's in public health it does sit quite nicely in that space for you too yeah exactly it it is exactly the kind of work that I saw myself getting into um in an ideal world so I when I was still doing my master's I was volunteering as a coach with another organization called Girls on the Run which does kind of similar work um with getting young girls involved with in running and sport um so I really enjoyed that and I kind of saw myself in an ideal world getting involved in some kind of youth programming and something to do with sports if I could. Um, but obviously I didn't know if that was going to work out. So the fact that it did in in this way is, is pretty cool. It is. It, it really is amazing. And it sounds like a fantastic idea that uh, Mary Kane has, has, has fostered and she's created something potentially wonderful out of it. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I hope that this is something that can expand in the future to other cities in the US and, you know, it could even it could even go global. Who knows? I can I could bring it back to Ireland, but um, back we'll to see. any city harriers. <laughs> yeah, there we go. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think it is something that could definitely be um, scaled up and hopefully expand. That's fantastic. There's one other, well, there's plenty of other things I want to ask you about, but there's one other thing that's, you know, there's a lot of uh, people who might be listening to this will be students um, who are uh, um, maybe considering their own career option. And, but, you know, going back and look, reflecting back on your own um, experience, do you think the US is becoming a more viable option? I know there's like, I, I can think off the top of my head of about, there's one of our own students who left our course to take up a sports scholarship for running uh, over in the US. Um, and I can think of another two or three uh, young guys who've gone over for soccer that 
you know, there are there are opportunities. And uh, you said yourself back when you were applying, you weren't, uh, you know, the number one athlete in Ireland at the time. But, you know, you, you cast a wide net, you, you let them know about your performances and, and opportunities arose. So do you think it is um, a, a route that's worth exploring for, for any Irish students? Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I, I would recommend it to anyone. And I know everyone's experiences are different and maybe some people don't have as positive an experience or maybe they, you know, they don't like the idea of living that far away from home. And I, I definitely understand that. But for me, um, it really was a life changing experience and something that I enjoyed so much. And I think for Irish athletes who are maybe thinking about the scholarship route or maybe they want to look into it, I, I would say that even if they don't think they're good enough, like it's still worth looking into because a lot of the time, um, a lot of the time they could be like, uh, there's, there's other, there's different divisions as in like, I, I ended up going to the division one level, but was bare, barely good enough to be in the division one level when I, when I went over, but there's also division two and division three, um, which can also offer scholarships. Um, and it really is just an in- incredible opportunity. Um, if, if you can, make it work and you don't a lot of people don't know how to um how to go about it or how to even get started looking looking into options but um I would say just like going onto the websites looking up the emails for the coaches and just like you said casting a wide net and seeing where that lands like for for me I had no idea what I was doing I I emailed like Harvard and like Ivy League schools, like they don't even offer athletic scholarships. I didn't know that, but they were, they, they emailed me back and they were very nice. And they said, you know, we didn't, we, we can't offer you a scholarship, but if you still want to come here, let us know. And I was like, I think not because that's going to be about 80 grand a year, but thanks for getting back to me. And that's, that's another thing as well as that, like, it's important to realize that if someone's applying to colleges over there without, maybe a scholarship or study abroad opportunity or something, it's incredibly, incredibly expensive. And that's something that we're very lucky in Ireland that we we can study at third level pretty affordably, whereas in the US, it's it's a huge cost for even for people who are on partial scholarships that they're still, you know, taking on a lot of debt to get their degree. So um, that's also something to keep in mind as well as is is the cost of it. Yeah, but there are definitely there are options, undergraduate, postgraduate options there. Yeah. And for, you know, maybe just to have a look and, and see. And as you did, send a few emails and see where it goes. Yeah, exactly. Listen, Eva, it's been fantastic talking to you. I like there's like I said, there's loads more we could chat about, but maybe we might catch up catch up with you again uh, in, in in a few months or next year and see how things are progressing for you. What's next before we go, actually, what's next on you for your race calendar? That's that's always interesting. Yeah, so it's the indoor season is kind of underway at the moment, and I'm giving that a miss for the most part, just because for the first time since college I kind of can and I can just kind of take a longer build into the track season um but that said I I might do an indoor 5k here at the end of the month just to kind of see where the fitness is at um before hitting the train and hard again so uh yeah so I will just be gearing up for the outdoor season I will hopefully do some 5ks and probably focus on the 10k and um 
yeah, there's a world championships this summer. There's a European championships. So we'll just, we'll see what happens. We'll see how fast I can run. That's, that's always the goal. <laughs> yeah. Well, we will certainly be wishing you well from here and, uh, and look forward to seeing how well you do go. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Eva. It's been a pleasure speaking to you and I wish you all the best. Thank you. Eva has such a great story to tell. I hope we did it justice there over the last 40 minutes or so. She is modesty personified, but behind that laid back and chilled out exterior is a very intelligent, thoughtful and deliberate woman. Eva has given herself direction and purpose. She's able to recognise opportunities and is not afraid to pursue them. Here are my take home points from chatting with Eva. Studying in the US is a viable possibility for some Irish students. Obviously, the cost can be a barrier for most, but if you're a good athlete, you may be good enough to qualify for a scholarship, which can ease or even offset the financial burden of studying in the States. Have a look and see what opportunities might be there for you in your sport. I liked Eva's advice about just casting a wide net when you're looking for opportunities. Playing a numbers game can work in your favour. No matter what you're applying for, remember to be professional and personable because each email sent could be the one that secures that position you're dreaming of. Finally, Eva's story was underpinned by her passion for running and the enjoyment she gets from it. I have no doubt that Eva and her teammates at Atalanta will inspire a generation. If you can somehow manage to pursue a career, a career that incorporates your passion and gives you enjoyment, then you're on to a winner. Okay, that's it for today. If you've made it this far, you might do one more thing and click the button to share the episode. Every little bit helps to grow our audience. As always, if you'd like to get in touch, then you can catch me on Instagram at B underscore Wardrop. I love to hear from you guys and I welcome any feedback that you might have. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you in the next episode.